Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, an album that bumps eternally. And today we will be deep diving together into Michelle and Degeocello's debut album from 1993, Plantation Lullabies. Hip-hop, the white man's world, gone into nigga five, future shock. Four thirty two Moreland Avenue Northeast is one of a few select addresses seared in my memory. The property housed there is the iconic Wax and Facts record store in Atlanta, Georgia, where I copped a few good heat rocks, including the unquestionable seminal fire album Plantation Lullabies that arrived in our lives in the late fall of nineteen ninety three, courtesy of Maverick Records and Michelle De Giocello. This one's personal. So tailor-made to me, so specific to my experience as a young black queer woman at an HBCU, having stepped into the projects and found love and been awakened because of it, I considered it ultra-precious. No one touched that CD but me, her, and the man that sold it to me. The thrice Grammy-nominated album was a study in things sometimes assumed to be of the now, like wokeness. Plantation Lullabies is surely woke, times a trillion. More than just a seat at the table, it is a table, prepared before us in the presence of our enemies. Enemies like colonized standards of beauty, deferred dreams, addiction, and systemic racial oppression. This album is love in the time of revolution. And as tables go, let's talk about what she brought to it. A soup of genres. Herbie Hancock meets the Soulquarians, meets Prince Rogers Nelson, meets Rosetta, meets bars, meets a new genre called neo-soul. This album would pave the way for so many. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, Badoism, Olesi Fragments of an Earth, Brown Sugar. When we say canonical on this show, this album is what we mean. It raised the standard for artists and for lovers. Michelle had me out here looking for someone willing to read me Shakespeare in my birthday suit and able to listen to Billie Holiday records with me after a row. No pressure. Black skin, black on black love, Black sisters, black men, the word black showed up over and over on this album to remind us of her perspective and where her passion lie, a series of psalms during Revelations. In my opinion, if you're waiting for the next Michelle Indegio cello, it might be a minute. The brave, bold, badass boss that bought her guitar to a gunfight was then and is now in a class all by herself. Ooh. Illusions of her virginal white beauty Dancing in your head You let my sisters go by Plantation Lullabies was the album pick of our guest today, singer, songwriter, and future soul pioneer Cy Smith. She first appeared on the scene of the 1990s, hawking her writing skills and five octave vocal talents, singing backup for Whitney Houston and others when she wasn't busy playing a backup singer on Allie McBeal, which now I think about is probably when I first saw you. So <laughs> shout out to Allie McBeal, which is yeah. a phrase that we don't often say on yes, the show. Yes, shout, shout out. out. <laughs> 
1999, she took those 20 steps to the front of the stage with her solo debut, Psycho Soul, and since then she's put in work on over half a dozen studio albums and compilations, the most recent being her 2018 album, Sometimes a Rose Will Grow in Concrete. Sometimes the cage bird will sing, sometimes the hole can be incomplete, sometimes the captive don't complain. Sai is a consummate collaborator, having worked over the years with everyone from rock legend Santana to DJ Rich Medina Mm -hmm. to jazz trumpeter Chris Bode, and with the focus of today's episode, Michelle Indegiocello. Sai Smith, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So as I just mentioned, you have worked with Michelle extensively since I think at least the early 2000s, but how did you actually first discover her music? I first discovered Michelle's music. I, too, was uh, in college at Howard University. Shout out. Shout out. H-U. <laughs> Somebody's out there going, you know. <laughs> um, so I remember hearing her name uh, and then reading about her probably in the city paper there in D.C. Mm. And then, uh, and you know, there was buzz about her on campus. And um, I think one of her singles, Dreadlock, was getting played mm-hmm. on the radio. And I loved that song. Yeah. So when her album came out, there, she did an in-store at, I think, Kent Mill Records on DuPont Circle. And I went over to Kent Mill Records and stood in line. It was about a three-block line, y'all. Mm. And I stood in that line by myself. And, uh, you know, because none of my friends wanted to skip classes. We were a studious <laughs> bunch. <laughs> I skipped all my classes that day and stood in line just for a chance to meet her. And, and you know, because I felt like I was on, you know, I felt like I was about to meet somebody really great. I didn't know at the time what she would be or who she would be in my life, but I knew that she was special. Mm. So I met her. I got that autograph. I bought the CD. She signed it. I left the CD at home, but I'm going to send you guys a picture. Okay. She signed my government name. Hey. (laughs) And and I just remember her spirit being so warm and yet so shy. And, And I didn't know. Like, like I said at the time, I didn't know who she was going to be to me, but I was really excited. Or, or in D.C. we say siced. I was so siced to meet her that day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and I ran that record into the ground. Yep. Yeah. Um, the same, you know, being in college and, of course, the, the record store that I mentioned, uh, Wax and Facts, was sort of the center of, of great albums. Right there in Little Five Points in Atlanta, which is a cool, eclectic area. And... I came upon that album and just didn't know what had happened to me. I was like, what is this from start to finish? Mm -hmm. Um, Dreadlocks was getting a lot of play, but I just remember, I think it was the video for If That's Your Boyfriend. Mm. And I was like, well, damn, you know, I think those were my exact words. (laughs) Well, well, damn, you know, Um, it was just so, so cool and uh, so tongue in cheek, but just so bold. If that's your boyfriend, he was on that. Boyfriend, if that's your boyfriend, if that's your boyfriend, it wasn't last night. 
And then the visual of a black girl, bald, playing a guitar, right. was just so, to me, forward-thinking and progressive and sexy. I just, it was everything that I didn't know that I needed. And 26 years later, I think, my God, how ahead of her time she was. Right. And I didn't think I'd be yearning for an old soul record until now. <laughs> there you go. That was the thing. Um, I remember everybody saying, you know, she's a bass player. She's a bass player. And at the time, I played keyboards in a go-go band, um, what were we call royalty. And, and it was all girl go-go band. So mm. Erica Poindexter was on bass. Cherie Mitchell played keys. Um, and Shawnee Baby played drums. Shout out to royalty. And we were all really psyched that there was this black girl bass player, yeah. you know, on Maverick Records, which at the time, you know, that was Madonna's label, right. you know. Yeah. So it was a big deal, you know, like a black girl from D.C. who played bass on Madonna's label who just released an album and is getting all this press. Like, that was a really big deal for some of us, for most of us instrumentalists, yep. too. You know, at the time, I wasn't such a singer as much as I was a keyboard player. I didn't so, know that about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to royalty right now. <laughs> Shout out to royalty. <laughs> Indeed. What yeah. about you, Oliver? So I think because I was already volunteering at the college radio station at the time when I, where I eventually got a show by 1994, if you were anywhere in and around just what people would have termed the college music scene at the time, I mean, Michelle was big, but was not really on my radar. I definitely heard Dreadlock. I definitely heard if he was your boyfriend, but I don't think I ever sat with the album until really prepping for this. And a lot of it was because of my, of what my listening tastes were in 93. And I had mm -hmm. to, I had to look this up because I know this is a segment Morgan that you oftentimes do in terms of putting stuff into perspective, but I mean, 93 was an insane year for music. So if we're talking about just albums that would be vaguely in the vein of plantation lullabies, you have everything from Guru's Jazzmatazz. Mm -hmm. You have PM Don's The Bliss album, mm -hmm. uh, Jamiroquai's debut, uh, mm -hmm. Emergency of Planet wow. Earth, yeah. Mariah Had Music Box, Tony Braxton's self-titled album, mm -hmm. uh, Jeanne's Hey Mr. DJ was blowing up, mm -hmm. huge year for SWV, mm -hmm. uh, and Mary J. Blige was still floating on that post, What's the 4111 uh, mm -hmm. uh, vibe. This album... Because, again, I was such a deep, deep hip-hop kid. This was not going to, on an aesthetic level, was not going to hit me. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, it was a little too new funk, and that's spelled N-U. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but that said, I think listening to it now, I can appreciate it as an artifact of a particular time and place in which that sound that she's working with, I think, was so dominant. For everything that I just listed there, none of that really not in terms of not just musically, but in terms of vocally and content wise, none of it sounds like what Michelle was doing. Mm -mm. Like you have R&B singer singing, right. they're not rapping. No, right. You have female rappers, but they're not doing what she's doing right. on this album. So, And they're it, not instrumentalists either. Exactly. They're not playing the bass. Yeah. Right. So this album really is remarkable, I think, in a way in which it represents the crossroads of all of these things, yet somehow stands apart from it at the same time, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It does. And maybe that's the reason that it had to be on Maverick. That right. it wouldn't have been on, on, on any, any of these other labels right. mm -hmm. that you found some of these songs that you were talking right. about. Because they probably would have forced her more into some kind of box that would have sounded closer to those other things mm -hmm. opposed to letting her breathe on her own. Yeah. Right. I want to ask real quick because one of our listeners up here, uh, Ringwald, wanted to know, quote, how groundbreaking was this album at the time of its release, unquote. And I think based on both of your testimonials, it wasn't like this was a slow burner. I mean, Michelle was getting attention right out the gate, right? Absolutely, yep. right out the gate. She she was starting conversations that were really 
uncomfortable but needed to be talked about you know soul on <laughs> she was, ice yeah it was, she was like essence magazine the musical you know what i mean right <laughs> yeah and um Absolutely. and and she was also like you said a black queer woman who was on the main stage finally that was a place where where even black folks for real for real were uncomfortable like talking about you know and she was speaking in a way that was accessible to anybody who, who cared to listen, you know, whereas there might have been writers writing about this kind of stuff or authors writing about this kind of stuff and essayists, you know, but if you weren't reading essay books, right. you know what I mean? You right. wouldn't have heard these things, but she presented these these conversations in a way that were really accessible. And I think that template, if not the sound, has lasted. Like if, if I hold up Plantation Lullabies and To Pimp a, Lull- a Butterfly, mm-hmm. to me, those templates are very similar. Right. So I think in that way, it was a very groundbreaking album. Yeah. Especially in uh, the early 90s where, you know, for, for all of our progress, there were still things that we weren't allowed to say. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were still spaces that we weren't allowed to occupy. And as a black woman, there was still a way that we were supposed to be presenting ourselves, mm-hmm. especially in R&B. Mm-hmm. Right. And showing up bald with suspenders and playing a guitar <laughs> that's as big as your entire body right. was not. And talking about, you know, black love in the time of revolution right. and writing songs that's whose title shouts out Eldridge Cleaver is not really what you were supposed to be doing. (laughs) So to answer Homeboy's question, it was groundbreaking for sure on many levels. Right. I mean, and again, right out the gate, it wasn't like it had to be rediscovered, you know, 10 years later. This was something that was, it was a big release for its day. It It was was. a brave way to make a debut, you know, like this, (laughs) she wasn't coming out the gate with, you know, soft, Right. <laughs> right. Even though it said lullabies, it it really wasn't. It wasn't you know, something to sleep on. Right. That's why Maverick, not Motown. <laughs> right. Because Madonna was probably like, okay, cool. Right. I just did justify my love. So you know what? We out here. Let's <laughs> right. go. Let's gonna go ahead and do this thing. You know. <laughs> One of the things that comes up all the time in the discussion of Michelle and Daniel and specifically around this album, was the bars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Michelle's rapping from beginning to end. Yeah. And I think when we talk about bars and rappers, we don't mention Michelle, but Michelle came with Ever. bars on this album. That's true. We never mention her. We never mention Michelle. <laughs> and I just want to know why. No slight to Michelle, but Michelle right. had bars in here. But this is not mentioned as a hip-hop album. And in right. some ways, it is. A hopeless romantic, that's what I've been called. So don't talk about love, because I'm Talk the color of your eyes, wanna hug and kiss you when you walk by. The way you eat your cereal is so cute. Reading Shakespeare in our birthday suits. I'm just so hopeless, romantic, hopelessly in love with you. Some of the reviews I was looking through from the era do describe it as a hip hop sure. album, but mm-hmm. I think because Michelle's career has gone in other directions, the retrospective on it ceases to it kind of removes it from the hip hop category even though she's basically rapping on most of the albums so right, it's like how right. is this not a hip hop album right right and i don't know why i don't know why that is you know in the liner notes i was reading the liner notes earlier today and she quotes um a piece by the writer greg tate um mm. that sort of addresses that situation like it says not alternative there is no alternative mm-hmm. to hip hop this is mm-hmm. not alternative hip hop mm-hmm. and 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 she goes on to quote the whole like um 
Greg Tate poem, there's no such thing as alternative hip hop. Mm. The only known alternative to hip hop is dead silence. Mm. And and I thought that, you know, yeah, yeah. back then, like, yeah, she was actually, I'm sure that with all the bars she was spitting, you know, she might have been um, hesitant for people to say that this is a hip hop record, but it's not really. Right. You know, like, in other words, no, this is that and it's everything else. Right. right. You know, it's so funny because when you were saying earlier how this album was like a, you know, an essence cultural criticism put to put to record effectively. Uh-huh. My first thought is it's an album that if Greg Tate would have sat down and came up with his dream album, this is what he would have came up with, <laughs> not realizing that he that he that she quotes him in the liner. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is very Tatean in that yeah, sense. Absolutely. Shout out to Greg Tate. Shout, Shout out, out to Greg, Greg Tate. We need to, get, we need to get Greg in here. Greg, What's if you're up, listening, Greg? next time you're in LA, man, give us a holler. Come through. I'm a fan. When I talk about the poetry of the album. You have to be poetic. You have to have a poet's mind and heart to write a song like Shooting Up and Getting High with My Baby and uh-huh. and make it poetry. Right. And take that the first visual because you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right. This isn't a song about weed. Right. This is some, the first something song, else. I think the first thing she says is this, this is a, a song, song about, about love. About sadness. About sadness. Yep. Yes. Yes. About it's a sadness. song about sadness. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes, yes, yes. But that comes from a poet's mind and a right. poet's heart because mm-hmm. she's talking about a lot of other things. I mean, it's it's a uh, the metaphors is addiction, but there's other stuff mm-hmm. going on in there. Yeah. It's sort of like the receiving of bad information from somewhere else. Right. It is a song about sadness. It's a song about being sort of addicted to another way of thinking yeah. and another gaze. And that's poetry. And I think in, in some of the things that have been left out of the conversation about Michelle, certainly the bars is one of them in the hip hop and the poet is the other part. Yes. Yeah. So we get so caught up in the voice mm-hmm. um, and, and her and all those things are worthy and the Absolutely. way that she plays yeah. and her sexiness. But we have to give her credit as a poet. As a poet. As, as a songwriter and as a poet. Yeah. I, that song's a jam too. That song is a jam. Shooting up and getting high with my... Lived about three train stops and waves, a train ride away from heaven. He was signified by politics, low income housing, birth control, and abortion. The capitalistic hand around my throat. We're talking a lot about the content of the album, which of course makes sense, but Sai, I'd love to get your take on musically when mm-hmm. you were first listening to this. Because again, you were probably approaching it not just as a songwriter, right. but also as a musician yeah, and someone yeah. who's playing. What did you hear on the album musically? I heard, well, you know, she's from DC, right? Um, Michelle Johnson, shout out to your government name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I, of course, everybody, all of us from D.C. could hear the go-go in this music. Uh, We could all hear that swing. mm. Even the way she's rapping is very, she swings everything. I'm the kind of girl, you know, musically, that's all swing, right? Wrong, say that I ain't right, but if that's your boyfriend, he wasn't last night. I'm the kind of woman, I'll do almost anything to get what I want on my plea. Um, so that was a, a familiar sound and it was comforting to hear and it was it made us feel so elevated like to hear what we do at little clubs or wherever we go-go bands were playing you know it, it was sort of validating to hear our sort of phrasing in that you know on such an elevated platform um, but then there was this sophistication with these chord progressions she was playing like everybody 
not just go-go cats, but jazz cats. Everybody was just like, woo! Every t- especially every time she went to a change, you know, just out of nowhere. You know, and we'd just be like, what? What is going on? Right. And it, it almost felt like if you weren't um, listening to the bars, the lyrics, you it was almost like the lyrics or the verses were just an excuse to go from one chord progression to that crazy change. You know what I mean? Like, because everybody was waiting for the change. Cause it, because when you were listening to Michelle, you knew that whatever was about to come was not going to be what you expected musically. Even in the sequencing of the songs, you start out with some instrumental where you're just like, where are we going? Right. Where are we going? <laughs> and it gets real soft and buttery. And then she goes right into that drum start of digging you like an old soul yeah. record. And, you, and you're just like, wait a minute. Ooh, that first drum. Sit back, relax, and listen to the eight track. Dig you like an old soul record. Yes, I'm digging you. Ow! And that drum sounds so familiar to me because it sounds like the beginning of Brand New Heavy's uh, Dream Come True. Oh, yeah. And it just got me so hyped. But the song before, the intro, mm-hmm. you just have, I'm like, what type of album is this going right. to be? Right. And she changes up on you um, immediately. You know, when I was re- getting back into this record as, you know, preparing for this um, podcast, um, those some of those musical interludes that are happening between the songs, to me, I'm like, wow, this was Queen Sugar before Queen Sugar. Right. Like, this was where Michelle was scoring, but there was no movie yet. Absolutely. You know, she was scoring for, you know, you know how um, Nina Simone says at the beginning of Mississippi Goddamn, um, this is a song written for a musical that hasn't been written yet. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, I felt like, wow, this, this is Michelle scoring before the film happened. Mm. Right. You know, mm. um, and I love that because it really painted a picture if you listen to the album in its sequence you know it really painted a picture like you really kind of get placed back into any urban usa in 93 you know what i mean um whereas you have the soft sort of palette that that happens when the sun is just coming up and the streets haven't all the way woken up yet to you know the drum beat of five o'clock p.m (laughs) <laughs> no, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it, and it also sort of makes a great case for what neo-soul really was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why it was called neo-soul. Mm-hmm. This generation of musicians and artists all played instruments, right? Were highly influenced right. by instruments, mm-hmm. highly influenced by old soul music and by eight tracks where she says, right. ain't no woman like the one I got. You know, <laughs> right. this, this is that generation. Right. Right. This is the generation that was mixing R&B and hip hop. Because isn't, pre- yep. isn't Premier one of the producers on this yep. album? Yep. Yeah. Wait, mm-hmm. he was? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Bob Powers engineer. Bob Powers. Yep. Same Bob guy that was Powers. doing a lot of that right. soul Quarian stuff. Yep. Tribe. Yep. 
All Way of that stuff. That. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Sure. Midnight yeah. Marauders. Did he do right. did he, he did. engineer yeah, he that? Did. Mm-hmm. So this builds a case for the sound mm-hmm. of Neo's soul. Mm-hmm. Again. And incorporating jazz artists because that was a big that's a big part of Neo Soul too. So you got Joshua Redman playing saxophone yeah. on a few songs. You got Jerry Allen, the late great Jerry, Jerry Allen. Allen playing piano you know she was she was a professor at howard h u uh (laughs) (laughs) and you got you know percussionists like louis conti you know right you know so it's like in that way i think neo soul um had a lot of jazz artists playing i think this was the introduction to that sure you know yeah she she was doing spoken word before that was really a thing too you know so she on record on record and on a debut, I mean, we've said this before, but that's really remarkable to have that kind of both presence of mind, the guts to just take it there, both content-wise, but also musically. Yeah. Mm. Just, it's something that you might expect from, let's say, a more veteran artist who on their third album, really, that's that's right. the breakthrough, right? They've had right. some time to kind of work out their ideas and they just come with it. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. just right out the gate, right it, out the it's gate. still a remarkable, remarkable thing to think mm-hmm. about with this one. We'll be back with more of our conversation with our guest, Cy Smith, on Michelle Indegio Cello's Plantation Lullabies after a brief word from a couple of great Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. Hi, it's Ali Kokesh, one of the cast members of Mission to Zix, a new addition to the Max Fun network. We're blown away by the welcome we've received from Max Fun listeners, telling us you've discovered the show and are binging it hard, supporting us during the drive, and just being rad humans all around. Mission to Zix is an improvised, obsessively sound-designed sci-fi comedy epic following a group of ambassadors as they explore the ass-end of space. I play Dar, the 12-foot-tall omnisexual security officer with furry scales, chest talons, and a series of flaps and shoots that are for... Nah, you know what, you'll figure it out. We'd be delighted if you joined our crew aboard the aging, sentient starship, the Bargerian Jade, as we travel the Zix Quadrant, meeting all sorts of weird aliens played by brilliant guest comedians. That's Mission to Zix... Z-Y-X-X. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we're the hosts of Everything's Everything's Coming Coming Up, Simpsons. Simpsons. Every episode, we cover a different episode of The Simpsons that is a favorite of our special guests. We've had guests that are showrunners and writers and voice actors like Nancy Cartwright. I got a D minus, I passed! And we've also had people that are on the Max Fun Network already. We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show. I was just uh, struck by how sharp the writing is. I mean, that's no surprise because it's The Simpsons, but I mean, like, you can't say that about a lot of of TV shows, particularly ones that at that point had been on the air for 14 years. Find us on MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, smell you later. We are back here on Heat Rocks talking about Michelle Indeguicello's debut album, Plantation Lullabies, with our guest, Cy Smith. A question for you. Where were you in your career as an artist or as a songwriter when this album came out? I know you, you talked about being in the band, but where were you as an artist? As an artist, I, don't, I was still formulating myself. Like, I don't even think I knew I was an artist back then. I knew I was a musician. Okay. I knew I was a songwriter. I was a junior at Howard, right? I think I was a junior or a sophomore. And I was a psychology major, so music therapy was my minor. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, wait, was, wait, that, that was an actual minor. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, I thought was, you were being metaphorical. Oh no, here. no. Okay. Music therapy was a was a t- Howard was one of two schools in the area at the time that offered a degree in music therapy. Nice. Howard University and I think Trinity um, College. But um, I was 
playing in the band. I was playing in royalty, and I might have auditioned and just started singing with an a cappella group called In Time. And In Time was Gino Young mm. and me and Daryl Hunt, who's a fantastic genius keyboardist in D.C., uh, Angela May, Lauren Samuel. So, so I was, oh, and you know what else I was doing? I had a friend named Scotty Beats, who was an engineer at Night Flight Studios, and Scotty used to bring me in to demo other people's songs. Oh, so I was learning how to record. Oh. I was learning how to record in the studio, and I, was, I became that girl that sang other people's I was I became the demo girl because I could imitate a lot of people. Mm. And at the time, people would be like, we're writing this song for Janet. I could sing just like Janet. Or we're writing this song for SWV. And I could kind of, I could kind of do Coco. Sure. You know? Anybody that you name, Pebbles, you know, <laughs> Jody Wiley, whoever, whatever, anybody needed, I could kind of imitate that voice. So, and I was really getting good at recording, like the art of recording, you know. Can we hear your Janet Jackson circa 1992, 93 <laughs> impression? Cause, cold, cold game out here. I, I, <laughs> Cool. Um, I'm, just, I'm just curious what that yeah I'm trying to imagine like an, a singer imitating another singer like how does that okay you gotta name a song cause I don't I don't have a thing that's the way love goes um oh baby I'm like candle not like what you like <laughs> that's it <laughs> I don't know the words I'm terrible no with no words. but that that is that is very Janet-esque okay back on topic let's, <laughs> let's get back into the album okay Sai what to you is the fire track off of here I feel like there's a lot of choices this is, oh my yeah, this there is, are so many choices but I must say that Dreadlock was the one that I ran into the ground um, because it was just such a heavy groove. That whole, the way the piano. And then that hook. Let me run my what? Dreadlocks. And I was so into boys with dreadlocks at the time, so it was right on time for me as a as a you know boy hungry girl probably. But it was it was just so sexy and those chords and that progression and, the, and when it went to the boom 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 boom. Usually, wooden flute doesn't really work for me, <laughs> but somehow in this song, I'm willing to forgive that part. It actually works. It's hard to imagine the song without that element, you know what I mean? Shout right. out to wooden flutes, okay? <laughs> Shout out to wooden flutes. Woodwinds, you know what? Woodwinds are my favorite. I tried to play the clarinet growing up. Mm. It's my favorite instrument in the orchestra. Wow. And, and I just could not get my embouchure together. So, But I, I have always imitated horns and and woodwinds and and brass instruments too so you know i don't think it's any coincidence that i that i tour with a horn player sure you know but yeah shout out to shout out to woodwinds i only played a couple of instruments the recorder was one of them okay yeah and uh that kojig tambourine that a lot of us play (laughs) 
Three, three years of flute right here. Middle See? school. Middle school All right. Band. All yeah. right. Listen, if you're <laughs> not into out. woodwinds, get into woodwinds. Get into the woodwinds, y'all. Okay. <laughs> My God. Oh. And what I want to say also about that song was it was such a celebration of blackness. Yes. It's a specific, yeah. it's a specific yes. celebration of blackness, mm-hmm. black hair, black love. Mm-hmm. And it's just sexy. Yeah. Um, but we needed some. We needed a celebration right. of blackness. We and, needed a celebration of black mm-hmm. love. And it just came from, like I said, a powerhouse. You know, bass playing, bald, bold, yeah. brave woman. And and that was you know twenty years before brown skin, India Ari. You know what I mean? So again, she's so ahead. Ahead. You know, it was a beautiful celebration of blackness and brown skin and and black love. You know, as she says, "I need some black on black love, baby." Yeah. You know that yes. she she reminds you, yes. um, whose whose lens yeah. uh, this is seen through. Yeah. Morgan, what is your fire truck? You know what, man? It's just like you said earlier. It's so hard to choose yeah. one on here because to me there are so many heaters on here, yes. and I go back and forth. Yeah. Okay. If you had asked me at the time that this came out, uh, 1993, I would have said, outside your door. Mm. Um, but if I'm honest, the song that I kept going back to was Call Me. I don't know what it was about that song. I think one of the things, and this is a, a very um, sort of, I'm, I'm not a musician, so so this might sound super Fisher-Price as a description, <laughs> <laughs> but it just sounded like, however the vocals were arranged, it sounded like there were a lot of Michelles in the room uh-huh, on this. Uh-huh. You know what I'm trying yeah, to say absolutely. here? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of stacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was the, um, it was just so, there was so much swag to that song. Yeah. You it know? was it was very that song is very like singable like it 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 uh I think it invites people to to sing along. Yep. You know what I mean? It's a very reachable. Sing-along. Yeah, very reachable, very accessible. And I I don't know that when I toured whether we ever did that song, but I I was always hoping we would because I imagined everybody in the room would just sing sing the whole thing or you know when you need me baby just call i imagine everybody would be like call me yeah you know what i mean because you can reach that one Uh you can reach that one and it was so um so independent you know in the in the discussion of of relationships and certainly male and female relationships or or whoever it was just so confident Mm -hmm. when you want me baby just call me up you know i think she says dial the seven digits and stuff (laughs) that's why it's of the now it's of the time because it's not not 10 digits it's not 10 digits (laughs) and it's not it's not text me right which has a completely different meaning right you know slide into my dms it's not slide into my dms it's call me take that right and if you don't call me i'm gonna be outside your door right okay i'm I'm glad you brought this one up because in terms of my favorite moment on the album it's actually at the end of this song and this goes back to morgan your point about just Michelle's bars because I feel like at the end there and I don't know if she's literally freestyling but it just feels like it's very stream of consciousness mm-hmm. and that she's having there's so much swagger to use the phrase that you just used a moment ago and every time I reach this end of it which normally it's, you know, this is not like a short song so this is already 
four minutes into it. As a listener, you might be ready for the next song, but like Michelle just keeps you locked in because of just how she's spitting. Like oh, energy. yeah. Call me Yes. Yes. The That's confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Side, did you have a favorite moment on this album? A favorite moment. You know, every time you listen to it, where it hits that point, you're like, oh. Mm. Oh my goodness. There was an interlude. Um, Not untitled. Is that it? That the that that might be it. Number six. Yeah. Her beauty cannot be measured with the standards of a colonized mind. Her features are broad and striking. She caresses him. Her fingers. I think musically, once again, it was like a score for a movie that hadn't been written yet. Mm-hmm. And I and I was really sort of transfixed in moments like that that happened on albums, you know, because because this was where artists presented ideas that weren't necessarily for commercial consumption. Mm. They were just ideas like, here's a piece of me I'm giving you. And I felt like that was a moment on this album, like, here's a piece of me. This is not a single. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have, you know what I mean? It's just... It's just something, it's just from me to you. There was a time that I went to Ghana, West Africa, some years ago. And, and I would trip off of how the people would just walk up to me and give me stuff. And at first I thought, let me pull out some money and give it to you. And they would be like, no, this is just me giving you something. Mm. And, uh, and to me, that's what that untitled feels like. She loves him, even though his existence is predestined to be one of no remorse, no compassion, nor is it clouded with the delusion of equality. He loves her, cares for her, protects her. I mean, oh. Fonte was on here and we were talking about, he actually picked Intro's first album. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in the discussion, we talked about how sometimes some of the best songs on an album were the interludes in the 90s. Yeah. Where people would stretch out during those interludes, yeah, right? It would be absolutely. two minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of the ones where I was like, this is heavy. Yeah. It's heavy for an interlude. Yeah. It's heavy and, and its whole purpose is, it seems, is to just give a piece of someone to you. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is so deep and, and so, I don't know the word, sacrificial, you know, mm-hmm. because you didn't have to do that for us, Michelle, but you did. <laughs> and we appreciate <laughs> it. And we appreciate it. And we appreciate it. Yeah. it. And when we talk about interlude and some of the attention, some of the people that miss interludes or some of the worth that's in interludes, yes. I see some of the worth in some of those songs that just show up in other places. Like mm-hmm. She's got a great song that she did with Herbie Hancock called Nocturnal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And it was on an album that I don't know that a lot of people paid attention to, but it's one of the prettiest pieces of music I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And again, it's poetry. Let me kiss your mind, bathe your soul yeah. in the nocturnal sunshine. Who says that? Oh, the nocturnal sunshine. sunshine. Yeah. I yearn for one emotionally satisfying kiss. Garden of Eden, spiritual bliss. Forgiveness. Offerings of sunflowers, Marvin Gaye, black butterflies. With death you realize, nature disputes Speaking of her on other projects, uh, there's a song with, I think, her and Marcus Miller. Rush Over. Ooh, mm. from the Love Jones yes. soundtrack. Yes. Ooh. 
<laughs> and that's two bass players, you know, coming together for some just funky, stank beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a good album title, Funky Stink Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that, Oliver. That's a gem, You can have too. that one for free. I want to experience the taste of dogberry nectar, the seed of life. Heaven everlasting, the phone just won't suffice for more. My imagination is filled and my cup runneth over. You said that the interlude was like a piece of her that she gave to us. Mm -hmm. What did Plantation Lullabies as an album, what did it give to us? What do you think the real gift of this album is? Mm. That album was, to me, to me, it was freedom. That's It gave me a sense of liberation in a way that I hadn't experienced from a singular artist before. It gave me uh, a roadmap to f- discovering myself mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't been given again by a singular artist before i might have had pieces of liberation from other places you know but that album in its totality was freedom to me i was like it was such a revelation in that it told me you can actually carve out your own thing and your own niche and 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 even if nobody gets it somebody's gonna get it right somebody Mm. you know that's what that album told me and it was so what better gift can you get? I mean, it it gave freedom in a time when we sorely needed it and we didn't know how much we were going to need it. Right. It has given me a reference point. And I never wanted to be the old person to say, you know, back in 93, we were doing this. But I, I can do that. Now. <laughs> okay. Shout out to Generation X. <laughs> and on top of that, I think everyone needs an album in their life that you fell in love with. Yeah. You need a soundtrack for falling in love and you need one for heartache and plantation lullabies was it. Right. And as a music supervisor, I am chasing these moments on plantation lullabies. When I get a scene mm-hmm. where there is heartbreak or loss or someone's making love, I am chasing some of the songs on this album. This is what I'm trying to conjure yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And she gave me that blueprint for which I, I credit her for making me, um, I'm not going to say a better music supervisor, but mm-hmm. one who thinks about intimacy and what that sounds like. Not yeah. what it looks like. Yeah. What it sounds like. Yeah. And I wouldn't have an idea of that without Plantation Lullabies. Yeah. So I, that's what she gave me. Shout out to you, Morgan, because I love what you're doing in that regard. Thank you so and, much. And it's, yeah, I think um, I can hear how this album would uh, influence you in that way. Indeed. That's, that's dope. That's so dope. Mm. This is something I've said or have written about in, in other contexts, but I think that there's few things more powerful than recognizing that something's possible simply because you've seen somebody else do it. Yeah. Because it, right. it completely reworks your imagination yeah. of, of what of what's possible. And I think something as simple as an album can achieve that or does achieve it every day when people are inspired in the way that you're describing. Right. That, Absolutely. oh, I can do that. I can sing like this. I can play like that. Yeah. Yep. And then, boom, doors open in that yep. sense. I'm wondering along these lines, though, and given how much you obviously respect Michelle and how such an influence... We often ask our guests if there's a song, if especially when they're artists, if they would cover off of the album they choose. Is there a song off of here that you would deign to cover? Ooh, wow, that's crazy. That's a crazy concept to me, covering a <laughs> Michelle song. Wow. Let me see. Um, oh, you know, as catty as that song is, I would 
probably love to cover if that's your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. He wasn't last night. And, you know, because of the cattiness of it all. And I love that sort of character that she's playing in that song. And I would love to sort of recreate that character. It's such a teasing yeah bitchy song you know <laughs> and uh, even the playground hook that na 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 boyfriend boyfriend yes i had your boyfriend what that's so stank <laughs> and, what, and when she says well i boot slammed your boyfriend while, last while i boot slammed your boyfriend last night what while i boot slammed your man last night yeah it's gully. gully and it's but it's i would think that would be kind of fun to cover yeah you can say I'm wrong, you think that's kind of freaky. I can't be trusted, kind of sneaky, but no. Get your story right, knocked on my door, so what should I say no for? So if that's your boyfriend, if that's your boyfriend, if that's your boyfriend, he wasn't last night. I'm actually surprised we haven't talked more about that song in particular because I think that was one of the most that at was the a time. Hit, yeah. yeah, it was a big hit. That it was, was. Hit, yeah. for all the reasons that you just said. <laughs> I mean, the inherent, the snark, the bitchiness of it. But yes, like, damn. They, yeah, the swag. the swag. You know, and it's and it was all coming from Michelle. You know, she didn't do that to somebody. <laughs> you know, if you know Michelle, you know she's not that kind of person. But but she could. But yeah, but she could. But she could. And she's letting yeah. you know right. she could. If she's coming for your man. This, yeah, <laughs> right. right. If she if she wanted to, she right. probably could. She could. I'm really curious about this. Is one of our other standard questions. I'm really curious how you're going to how you would tackle this because I feel like you could probably say all three, which is that was this album for you right on time, ahead of its time, or timeless? Is it cheating to say that it was all three? No, no. Because I think the way we'd be talking about it is yeah, that it does fit. All it three. does fit all three to me. It was right on time, in that the '90s, the early '90s, were we were just coming out of or or some of us were still in the thick of the the crack epidemic mm-hmm. and the way that completely devastated our communities you know um and so we were just kind of coming out of the ashes of that and it was ahead of its time in all the ways that we're talking about now you know the template that it's set up for neo soul for spoken word for for artists like for real for real Kendrick Lamar mm-hmm. to be able to do what he did with To Pimp a Butterfly. And I do think it's timeless in that if if someone were to write down all the lyrics and do a dissertation, I mean, like, they, uh, to me, there could be courses taught on this album. Absolutely. Know? And, I, and I think that for it's really woefully left out of that type of discourse, that sort of academic discourse, but it shouldn't be. It should be. There would be no lemonade, for real, if Mm-mm. there wasn't. Mm-hmm. If there hadn't been a plantation lullaby, indeed, you know this was the daughters of the dust of its Ooh. time. You know, nice reference. And, I like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that, and I hope that this podcast and this conversation will encourage people to include her in that conversation, mm-hmm. to include her yeah. in the contributions that were made, and to recognize that a lot of stuff that we take for granted now mm-hmm. as being now, right. She did it first. She did it first. Without protection. Right. Without the internet. Yeah. Without a crew. Right. Without without a plat without a platform. Without music festivals. Without mm. yeah, Afropunk and Right. Yeah. Pitchfork. Yeah. Pitchfork. And Coachella. Mm-hmm. And um, right. and she bodied an instrument mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that a lot of women that she was one of the first to do in that space. Right. And to come into the soul arena with this base yeah. right. and to body it mm-hmm. and to also be able to say some of the things that she said yeah. um, on Wax for the time. As, uh, as a debut album, to step out like that. Soul on Ice? Yeah. <laughs> Come on yeah. now. 
the overwhelming popularity of sin. Better off being looking white. My brothers attempted to file the white man's law and his system of values. The file is white women, but my mind masters in the slave house again. When we had Michelle on the show, which was a great episode, by the way, not yeah. to self-plug, but screw it, it's our show. Let's <laughs> listen to it. If you it was a good it, episode. It really was. If I recall, I think she, we were talking about just early work and the notion of early work for any artist. And I did think she, if I recall this correctly, Morgan, she was saying there were songs off of that, that first time that she just wouldn't perform anymore. Sure. Mm. And I'm wondering of this one in particular, it's politics, I think, were very much of its era, but is Soul and Ice is something that would she put out in 2019? And, and I don't I don't know if she would in the same way that some would. of the other word, other songs on here. Partly yeah. because I think that the politics of that moment have changed in different ways. Sure, right, sure. She, yeah, I, I don't know that she would. And I also think, too, like having toured with her, she often didn't revisit things anyway. Right. You know, she was very much like, that was then, this is where right. I am right now. You probably won't hear much from Plantation Lullabies because I'm doing Comfort Woman, right. or you know, I'm doing The World Has Made Me the Man of My Dreams, or you know what I mean, like ventriloquist. Yeah, this is where ventriloquism. Right. This is where we are right. This now. is where we are right now. She, I don't think um, Michelle, at least when I have was with her, her shows weren't so much about entertainment. Mm. It was about creating a space. Sure, you know, a, sure. a space and a and a a memory for that moment. In that moment. And, and and as a credit to her, she has enough of a body of work mm-hmm. that you can join the Michelle party. You can come right. to meet her at any time. Right. If you if you didn't meet her until Cookie, that's not too late. Right. If right. you jumped in at Peace Beyond Passion, right. you're still good. You're still right? good. Yeah. If you had Comfort Woman, all good. Right. right? Everything's <laughs> exactly. good. You can find your lane. Mm-hmm. And, and to give her the space to evolve, styles, yes. genres. And to grow. She was a young woman when this came Very out. Very young woman, yeah. And we all got living to do. Yes. And we got different things to say when Absolutely. you've lived a little while. Yeah, yeah. So, Cy Smith, if you had to describe plantation lullabies in three words, what would you choose? Oh, my goodness. I didn't prepare for that type of question. <laughs> I That's should okay. have. Um, three words that would describe plantation lullabies. The first word would definitely be revolutionary. Mm. Mm-hmm. Honest. Mm. It was a very honest album. And what would the third word be? I want to say something that alludes to the peculiar changes musically that this album embraced. Um, So what would speak to that? It was a weird kind of lovely. How do you say that? What's the word for that? Come on, thesaurus. Um... Don't point at me. I don't know. That's the source. Well, right well here. peculiar was the first word that came to yeah. me. So I'll say that. Go with peculiar. That. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. In a, in the, in the most beautiful kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We want to thank you so so very much for uh, for coming to sit down with us to talk about this album. Oh my God! Is that it? I had so much fun. I don't want to stop. <laughs> We could be here. We could be here for on and on. This is a fantastic album, and I just want to say I appreciate you for bringing this 
to the table. This is one of my favorite, favorite all-time, oh, all-time albums. Thank you. I'm so glad you appreciate it. I'm so glad you guys um, were cool with me selecting of this. Course. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, fant- fantastic album. And for those of you listening, if you want to get into uh, the music of Cy Smith, she's got a body of work. Um, Cyberspace is one of my favorites. Sometimes the rules will grow from concrete. Is another thank one. You. Check out the work. Um, she is uh, very, very talented and does her own Aww. changes and scats. <laughs> there. Thank you. Where can people find you uh, on the socials and otherwise? On the socials and the internets, I am um, strangely, strangely enough at Cyberspace on IG and Twitter, and I'm www.cysmith.com. That's S Y Smith, not Sly, not Sky, not Shy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just S Y Smith.com and Facebook.com slash Smith Music. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits engineers and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles, where there are always two lonely hearts on the subway. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. We want to thank all of our five-star iTunes reviewers, including the two following very cool folks. Nija9, who said, Like vibing with your cool friends. Forever learning new things on artists and albums I thought I knew and discovering other musicians I'd previously never consider. We also want to thank Blackbird Run, who said, One of my favorites. Enlightening, informative, and sassy. Always interesting to hear Oliver and Morgan's opinion and other observations. I have a couple of heat rocks to recommend. Check out Living Color 1990, Time's Up, the best black rock band ever. We will check for that album. And uh, certainly if someone wants to talk about it, by all means, uh, we will explore it. We also wanted to thank all of our social media fans out there, including the following folks. Jacoby81, who uh, tuned in to our Listening Into the Jungle Groove episode. We also want to thank B. Beeman, who also shouted us out. He was our guest. I uh, came on to talk about Stand by Sly and the Family Stone. We want to thank Patrick Miller, um, who also loved our sampling episode. We want to thank MPC hero Lance W., who said he's willing to go to the mat for us whenever we have to defend loving New Jack Swing. We also want to thank uh, Nicole Sweeney, Vern, Merritt Berenstein, Larry Shure, and Spros in different area codes. Um, <laughs> we also want to thank Shelly Has Opinions. We do so appreciate the tweezies and the retweezies. One last thing, here's a teaser for next week's episode where we sit down with Karen Tonkson to talk about The Carpenters, A Song For You. My biological parents, my mom and my bio dad, were musicians together, and they were young kind of teen musicians who performed in an ensemble called the Circus Band. And 
the story goes they met in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm. Uh, and it was probably conceived around the time of that. <laughs> but my mom was a huge, both my parents actually were huge Carpenters fans. And they, I think they always knew that they wanted to name me after Karen. Also, mm. people used to say my mom sounded like Karen. So I can't really say that there is a precise moment that I recognized. I heard the Carpenters, mm-hmm. but that they were always part of like my sonic environment. Probably, you know, again, pre-birth, right? So so I don't have a distinct uh, memory of that at all. It, the, the, the thing that in Why Karen Carpenter Matters that I kind of dwell on is the idea of this fundamental lack of separation sometimes that we have between the music that is uh, literally kind of shapes who we are, literally like is about who I'm named after yeah. and, you know, our ourselves. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported